Morning, church. It's good to be together in the presence of God and share with each other. I'm delighted to be uh, here with you to share in this time of uh, dwelling in God's Word together. Began a series last week. Scott invited us uh, into this series called Our Story. Um, You were all invited to pick up uh, copies of the Gratitude Project in which stories are being narrated. And Scott is not here this morning because he's writing this weekend, they are, you may have seen this on Facebook, writing a new chapter in their family's story. And so uh, he and Melissa were able to travel to Colorado to be with their daughter and now future son-in-law as she was engaged. And so we give thanks to God for that chapter as it unfolds in their life. I, I think Vicki said it was safe for me to say that because it's Facebook official. So... <laughs> If it's Facebook official, we can talk. I didn't want to give away any secret information, but we uh, rejoice with them and and pray blessings over Scott and Melissa and their family and uh, their story as it unfolds. God is good, yes, and uh, we believe that God is present where two or more are gathered in his name. We turn our hearts and our faces um, together toward him that he is present in our midst And sometimes we experience the presence of God in different ways and in different moments of our life. Um, We want to reflect more upon that deeply today through the lens of the story that TJ has just shared with us in these few verses from Exodus 14. Uh, That'll be the story that we listen uh, for this morning. Let me invite you uh, to pause. We're going to take just a few moments of silence to still our hearts and our minds, to open some space. Uh, for the Word of God and the Spirit of God to be fully present, to work and move in our midst. So would you join me in the silence for a moment and for this prayer of blessing and invitation as we listen for God's voice. God, we confess to you that there is so much that crowds in around us and vies for our attention, so many voices that speak into our world and speak into our lives. Even now, as we sit in the stillness of this room, we confess that across our individual experiences, there is a roar, a cacophony of noise and voices that vie for our attention and our allegiance. And so, in these moments of stillness, we pray uh, for a greater sense of your presence, that your voice would rise above all others, that your presence um, would be near. Speak to us by your word and by your spirit. And pray that the words of my mouth and that the meditation of our hearts together would be acceptable and pleasing in your sight. Oh Lord, you are our rock and our redeemer. We pray in the name of Jesus, the word become flesh. Amen. The story we hear today finds the people of God almost to the other side. You know that place of being 
almost to the other side, of being almost there. How many of you have gone on car trips, road trips with your kids? So, see, I, I stopped. You, you chuckle because you already know. And what's the refrain? Everybody, yeah, everybody at once can say it, right? Are we there yet? Almost, not far, a little bit longer. No, not for a while. Almost to the other side. That's where we find ourselves in this story in God's Word today. Almost to the other side of the Red Sea. Almost on the other side of a long, hard past. Almost on the other side of suffering. Almost on the other side of generations of oppression. Almost on the other side. Almost. And it wasn't easy to get that far. For those of you who are more or less familiar with the story, this is the story of those Hebrews who were... um, Um, for generations, um, slaves in Egypt, laboring in Egypt under the heavy hand of the oppressor, under the heavy hand of Pharaoh. This is the story of moments where when they thought it couldn't get any more unbearable, Pharaoh said, make it more unbearable, right? Right? This is the story of children who grow up and that's all that they know. It's just the way that the world is. This is the story of parents who have to try and explain to their children why the world is this way. This is the story of grief for those who died far too young under the hand of that heavy oppression and burden who have to sit with that and know no relief, generation upon generation upon generation. So I want you to understand that it wasn't easy, nor was it a short period of time for them to get to this point where we find ourselves in Exodus 14. The hand of God unfolds a path to deliverance slowly methodically. In fact, it doesn't say this, but you can read the undertones of the question, which is really, okay, we're stepping into this new future, finally, after generations of deliverance, but God, why so long? Why? Makes no sense. The hand of God unfolds a path to deliverance, to hope, and to a future slowly, mysteriously, in God's own time, methodically. But here they are, so close to the future they had dreamed of, but never dared to really believe possible. You hear those words? A future with life and hope out from under the suffering and the pain. They are almost there, but not quite. Almost there, but not quite. So it's not surprising to me that when they look up in the almost moment, right? Up out of Egypt, it's in the rearview mirror, but the future isn't fully there for them yet. That when they look up and see the possibility of a future collapsing right in front of them, 
as Pharaoh's troops close in fast that they are so quick to think it would be easier to just go back. Did you hear that in the verses that were read? Look, I'm going to read them again. This is the words TJ read just moments ago. These, these particular phrases, listen. Was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? Do you hear that? They're, they're, the people are speaking these words to Moses, but are those words for Moses, only for Moses? No, their words are for God. Their complaint is with God, right? Was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us out here to die in the wilderness? When those words were read, TJ, when you read them a moment ago, my son Henry was sitting next to me and said, what did you say? I forgot the phrase now that I brought it up. You, you said it was a, a oh, oh, <laughs> right on cue. So proud. Hey, hey, was it, uh, Henry, so stay with me here. You know, was it, was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us out here in Egypt? And you leaned over and said, yeah, he said, he leaned over and whispered, amazing roast. I was like, what? He like, he just roasted him. Was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us out here in the wilderness to die? And then the second phrase, it would have been better for us to remain slaves to the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. See how quickly, how quickly they begin to rewrite the narrative of their experience? Why do you think they do that? Why do they say those things? I'll tell you why I think they rewrite it, because it's too painful. It's too painful. To have hoped beyond hope, to have been given a glimpse of something more, something other, and have it snatched back is too, you know, it's, it's, it's protecting oneself, one's emotional self and well-being. Nope, wait. It'd be better if we just go back. Really? Really. It sounds astonishing. The way they're making sense of this, maybe that wasn't so bad. Maybe a future like that isn't really for us, for people like us. Maybe God didn't mean this for us after all. Maybe... I like this phrase. It's really not mine. I borrow it from a musical artist. They are painting pictures of Egypt, leaving out what lacks. The future seems too hard, too impossible. I just want to go back. Right? This is the story we hear today. It's an opportunity to think more deeply about our story. That's the theme of this um, series, the stories that shape our life and our faith, the intersection of our story and God's story. Last week, Scott introduced us to this series, to uh, really an invitation to take this journey together, and an amazing invitation. What a powerful moment to hear Tony tell his story. What a powerful moment to create the space 
How courageous to sit in that moment before all of you, all of us, and to tell that story. In the coming weeks, I suspect we'll hear others tell their story as well. Some of you have shared your story in writing in the Gratitude Project. This morning, as we sit with the story of the people of God up out of Egypt, I want to invite us to take a step back and reflect upon this whole project, story and faith, and perhaps find some additional frameworks for going deeper in story. Now, you all have heard me preach before, so I'm going to apologize right now. That demanded a chuckle. <laughs> you're, not sure, you're not sure how to take that, are you? I'm going to apologize right now, or at least tell you up front that the next part of this sermon is going to sound a little less like a sermon and a little more like a lecture. So, thus the apology. But I want to ask that you hang in there and just go with me for a moment or two. I trust that there may be something helpful for us as we go deeper into this idea of story, the intersection of our story and God's story and, and all that takes place in all of that. So are you okay with that? If not, you can excuse yourself now. No, don't, please don't. <laughs> not kicking anyone out of church. Um, one of the most um, significant and influential theologians, modern theologians, really through the middle of last century, German theologian named Jürgen Moltmann. You don't have to remember that name, but I'm going to say it a few times this morning. Moltmann. Moltmann wrote a, a very important and seminal work called Theology of Hope. See why I'm interested in it? Moltmann became the center of, uh, of my attention in my scholarly work um, in my doctoral um, dissertation. Jürgen Moltmann, Theology of Hope. Mer I'm going to boil it down. Moltmann essentially said that you can understand the Christian tradition and Christian faith and theolo Christian theology really in the origins of God coming to humans and saying to Abraham and Sarah, hey, I want you to go with me on this journey and I'm going to make something of you and your descendants. I'm going to make a people. The people of God really issue from the call of Abraham and Sarah, right? On the words of a promise. Leave your place and go with me and I, I will make of you many descendants. Astonishing as it seemed to Abraham and Sarah, I will make of you many descendants. They'll be as numerous as the sands on the seashore. I'll make a people of you and they will be a blessing. I will work out my blessing for the world through you. Right? Now, the whole point of that is that it's a promise. It's a future that they've got to step into. And so Abraham and Sarah up and leave and lean into God's invitation and travel along the trajectory of that horizon of promise. Something outstanding that they are moving towards, but it's not yet. It is almost. It is not yet. And so what Moltmann pointed out is that Theology, Christian faith, and theology really moves along this moving horizon created by the word of promise that God issued to Abraham and Sarah that they're, I'm going to give you a people, I'm going to give you a place, I'm going to bless you, I'm going to bless the world, I'm going to work out my purposes through you. 
And so the story of God's people unfolds, and sure enough, God makes of Abraham and Sarah a people, and they do become numerous, and they move into a place, and God blesses them, and they prosper, and all of those things happen until what? Until it's not a blessing anymore. And the horizon of promise that God has uttered in the word given to Abraham and Sarah is disrupted. Disrupted how? Well, let's start with um, exile and captivity in the history of Israel. How many times have the people of God experienced this, right? Wait a minute, God. If we're your people and you're blessing us and our lives will be full and flourish, that gets disrupted in the experience of reality. Sometimes it's disrupted as they try and make sense of that by their own unfaithfulness, right? So what Moltmann said was, really, Christian faith and theology moves along this horizon of promise and the horizon of our experience as we move through life that's often disrupted. Now, the word he used for that disruption, it's a German word, but if you transliterate it to English, it, it sounds like this, catastrophe. That's the word. You can almost hear it in German. Catastrophe, you know, catastrophe. That disruption of the experience of hope, of future catastrophe. So the first thing I want to say this morning is that our stories are in motion. They're moving. Our faith is in motion. It's moving. And so is the narrative of experience through which we experience faith, embrace God's hope and promise. Our journey by God, with God, is moving in that kind of way. And our journey with God is often disrupted in the horizon of our own experience, collectively and individually. It's not antithetical to faith. It is, in fact, the place where our faith is being worked out. So that's the first thing. Hold that for a second. Because I think you can hear that in the story of the Exodus and the people of God as they are delivered into a future, a promise. They move forward with hope. Can you sense the anticipation as they pack up and exit the life behind them? And then that hope is disrupted as Pharaoh's, and they turn why'd you lead us out here? It'd be better for us to die. It'd be better for us to live back in Egypt than to die in the wilderness. And then how does that repeat itself? Well, God delivers them across the Red Sea and they rejoice and they celebrate God's blessing and leading into a new future with hope. Yes. And then I'm telling you, you read a little bit further in their story and they move forward into that future. And what's the next thing that happens? There's no water out here. We're going to die in the wilderness. Same thing happens, right? And what does God do? God's presence provides for them water, turns bitter water sweet. And then it repeats itself again. What did you lead us out here for? There's nothing to drink. There's nothing to eat. And God provides manna. You see the rhythm of that? Hope moving forward and then disrupted catastrophe. 
Sometimes it happens on the individual level. Sometimes it happens collectively. I'm just telling you, this is the rhythm of what happens in the experience of reality and the word of promise that God lays before us. If that's the space, Moltmann says, that in the midst of that disruption, that's the very place where faith gets rewritten in your story. You hear that? Um, That phrase, the disruption, the catastrophe, the break in what you thought the horizon was, is the space where faith gets rewritten in your story. Okay. I want us to think more about the experiences that shape our story. This is point number two in the lecture. (laughs) The first point was Moltmann, horizon of promise, experience of reality, disrupts the horizon of promise, and it's in that space of disruption that we rewrite the story of our faith. Second one is this, that that experience of disruption takes different forms. It takes different forms. Um, I'll mention another source. This is the work of another theologian, Paul Jones. Paul Jones describes the rhythms of faith, the alternate rhythms of faith. And he says they are characterized by two things. And I think you'll see the words up on the screen. The first word is this one, obsessio. Obsessio. Um, That's the Latin form of the word from which we anglicize, I mean, English obsession, right? It's that, it's an angst. It's a deep longing. It's a deep sense that something is not right. That's the phrase up there on the screen. Something is not right. Obsessio. Something is broken. Something is fractured. He says that that's one um, side of the rhythm of of where faith lives, where, where belief happens, right? A deep angst, a deep longing, a deep sense that something is undone or something is not right. Now, let me say another word here. I would guess that a word that's much more common and that you'll recognize much more readily for this, is a three-letter word that we use a lot, sin. You recognize that word? Yeah. And I want to suggest to you that we mostly um, talk about obsessio as sins, meaning the individual behaviors or actions or related to us individually that um, reveal our own human frailty and brokenness. Sins. Plural. You hear it? I want to suggest to you that there's another form of that word, three-letter word, with a capital S, sin, which speaks to the fundamental breach in human experience as a result of the fall. And we experience that in a lot of different ways. And that God's redemption, God's salvation, is working out our personal brokenness, sins, and the break and the fracture in all humanity. Capital letter S, sin. Obsessio, Paul Jones says. Are you with me? Are you nodding off now? Because my students would be already gone. And I'd have to do something. So just 
let me know. I know Henry's already checked out. He checked out in the first five minutes, but uh, sorry, Henry. Uh, second, second side of that rhythm of belief, obsessio, one side, is the next word. Next word. Ah, epiphania. You recognize that one too, don't you? Epiphany. Epiphania. The other side of obsessio is epiphania. The other side of something is not right is all is well. Right? You hear both? of those. They exist in relationship to each other. Some resolution to the deep angst within us individually or collectively in the human experience. Some sense that that deep angst has a resolution. Some healing. Some sense of completeness or fullness in the whole creation. Right? It's beautiful. Epiphania. It's what we long for. Epiphania. Right? When we talk about salvation, sin and salvation, we are talking about these alternative rhythms, both in terms of the individual experience of our brokenness and redemption and this sense that the whole creation has been groaning, Paul will say, right up to the present time, obsessio. We eagerly wait in hope as those redeemed, Paul says, epiphania. You see the two sides of that. Jones says further that these things, these rhythms exist in relation to each other and they have certain themes that he describes as theological worlds. That's the next slide. Alternate rhythms of belief. Theological worlds. This dialectic. Um, So one way of thinking about the story of Exodus and Egypt is, Jones might say, is the obsessio is suffering. Right? And the epiphania isn't for them the absence of suffering, but endurance. You see the cycles that repeat suffering and endurance uh, in the story. This persistent obsessio in this world, this persistent sense, the reoccurring sense that the world is broken and unjust and unrelenting, and that no matter how much we wish that it was different, we still exist in suffering in this world. And the story also says, though, that there is an epiphania. There is this ability to find the space to endure in the face of suffering, faithful persistence in and through suffering. It's a theological world. Jones names five of these. Suffering endurance is one of them. Next one slide, you'll see them there. Suffering and endurance. Another, he says, is separation and reunion. I'm just going to pause for a moment with each one because I want each one to kind of resonate a little bit. Those, Those Latin words, obsessio and epiphania, almost sound like the kind of words that one would use, any of you uh, musicians, people who know music would think of them as um, descriptors of a certain tone or intensity or, right? I think of obsessio like that. Obsessio is like in, the, in a minor key, right? It's slow. It's droning. Um, sad. Music can do that. Where's my musicians? You, you know what I'm describing, right? If it's in a minor key. Um, music has the ability to make us feel 
and the obsessio is that angst. Epiphania, man, that's in a major key. That's the one that, man, you hear it and it brightens things up and you feel the lift of it. Um, some musical compositions will move from minor key to major key and you can feel the, the rhythm of that, right? Um, think of it that way. So suffering and endurance, separation and reunion. Separation and reunion. I want to I describe it this way. There are some of us who feel a deep longing for home. We're not sure where that comes from. But often there are deep-seated experiences of being separated from someone or something that travel with us. Um, This is common, a common obsessio in human experience of our human brokenness, this deep longing for something more and this sense of reunion right? Sense of reunion. Conflict and vindication. The world is marked by conflict. We don't understand it. Why in the history uh, of humanity is human experience marred by conflict over and over and over and over again? And yet it's true, it is. And when that comes near to you, whether individually or collectively in human experience, that carries a heavy weight in the rhythm of our stories and our belief. Emptiness and fulfillment. Any of you have a sense from time to time of the just feeling empty? Life seems empty. Carry, we carry that angst with us. That's the obsessio of that world that Jones is describing. And then, of course, I put condemnation and forgiveness last because that's how we typically think about faith. It's about condemnation. I did something wrong. My sins are always before me. And God, you forgive me, which is absolutely true. But I'm just trying to paint a broader picture. Jones invites us a broader picture of human brokenness. So let me say this, because the lecture's droning on now. Jones's world may not be comprehensive, but what they do is say what, what, what they do is point out to us that every one of our stories is marked by some deep-seated sense of obsessio. And it may not always be the same. Some deep-seated sense. Something is not right, something is broken, not as intended. Gina and I had this conversation this week. Really, it was her talking and me listening. That's the best conversations we have. And she was thinking through, this world is just messed up. It's just that obsessio. And how do you put your finger on that? How do we describe it? Something is not right. Something is is broken. Something is not as intended. It seems futile. It seems empty. Right? And I was wise enough to not try and answer that question. And you would be wise not to try and close that question too quickly as well. Because when you sit in that moment in the obsessio, that's the disruption. That's the catastrophe. That's the space to rewrite faith in the story of God. There is no telling the story of God. There is no telling of the story of faith without 
telling and owning the obsessio. I will say it this way. The more we live within the story of our brokenness, that obsessio, in whatever form it takes, the closer we get to the presence of God. Not the other way around. Like, I want to get close to God, so I've got to get past the brokenness into the epiphania because God's over in the epiphania. No, the story of the cross of Jesus says that God is in the suffering. God is in the brokenness. God is in the obsessio. And this view of Christian faith, of our story that says it gets writ written correctly, finally in the end, when we get past or through human, the human experience of brokenness, is a fallacy. It's a fallacy. Somehow we've got it all backwards. To know the presence of God does not mean that we have to get through our brokenness. It means we find God in the midst of our brokenness. But have you ever noticed, uh, so let me say it a different way. Have you noticed that the more we embrace individually or collectively in a moment like last week, frankly, the more we make room for human brokenness, the closer God seems. Is that your read of it? Because it's my read of it. Informed by the story of, of God in Jesus, informed by my own experience like those of last week, the more we make space for and enter into our own human brokenness, the more present God is. Our God is the God that draws near to the broken, the downtrodden, the sinful, the hurting, in the brokenness, God is near. I don't know what theological world that you might live in, generally speaking, or in this moment. Some of you may be um, experiencing suffering or separation. Um, condemnation where the cloud of guilt and shame is so thick you can't see your way out. But every single one of us in this room knows an obsessio. We are all broken people. And to make of our life together as the people of God, as the family of God, a place where just don't show your obsessio is to miss the glory of God's presence and God's salvation and God's redemption. I used to, I'll close with this, I used to, um, in the early days of ministry, when I was in my <clears throat> 20s, <clears throat> 20-somethings, didn't know much, but loved God and wanted to serve the church and thought I could help, thought I could help. I, I, I used to say, as I would stand before the congregation at the beginning of our assembly, and I would extend a, a welcome and a call to worship, I would say, 
invites you now to come into this place and whatever burdens you carry and whatever troubles are with you, whatever that is, to leave that at the door and come into God's presence. You hear that? And I, I, I would often, because um, I would sing a song uh, to kind of call us into worship. And I used to sing, I don't know if you know this one, or we've sang it, sang it here much, but I'd sing, Surely the presence of the Lord is in this place. I can feel his mighty power and his grace. And the next line, I can hear the brush of angels' wings. I see glory on each face. And I would, in my mind, I'd go, but you see the message? The message was, this is what I said, um, if you're carrying brokenness or burden or suffering or undoneness, leave that out there and come in here. No. No. What I would say differently, if I could tell my younger self to say it differently, I would say, we bring it all in here. It's all here. We don't have to pretend otherwise. We are human. We are frail. We are broken. And sometimes that brokenness becomes because we've made really bad choices, like Israel. And sometimes that trouble comes to us not because of anything at all that we've done, but because the world is broken, and that brokenness visits us fairly or unfairly. But all of us are broken. And the closer we can come to the reality of our own catastrophe, our own undoneness, the more deeply we can know the abiding presence of God. Amen. Let us pray. God draws up into this space where we might know you more fully in the messiness and in the pain and in the heartache and in the uncertainty and the doubt and all of it, the deep angst of, of human brokenness so that we might declare with full voice your presence and your goodness in all creation. Help us to find our place at your table where stories get told. Stories get told of our own journey through brokenness and our own desire to know your love in deeper and fuller ways. Bless our story as it unfolds in the mercy of your good grace. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.